Okay, great to see everybody um, and anybody joining us through the podcast. Welcome back. Share this with a friend. Um, we're learning, we're in the third part of the series, um, 15 Steps Towards Awareness, um, in an introduction to uh, mindful living or Jewish living, written by Dov Bear of Mezrich, the Magid of Mezrich in the 18th century of Poland. And so far we've been through, in the first two sessions, we covered the first six. Uh, If you want to refer to the last podcast, podcast number two, you'll see, you'll hear the, uh, a sort of quick summary of the first two, and then three, four, five, and six. Um, And just quickly, We'll go through those now. The first is when you just wake up to uh, welcome each of your senses and sort of invite each of your senses to be an invitation back to godliness um, or towards godliness to allow each of those to sight, hearing, speech, thought to draw God into your uh, into yourself for the day. Um, and number two is to watch your thoughts, to be present with your thoughts um, throughout the day, all the time. Uh, Do nothing small or big um, in your life until you've considered whether what you're doing is, is for a greater purpose, is it actually going to serve the greater need, or is it something selfish or mindless? It's a sort of act asking us to sort of start to double check what our motivations are, what our thoughts are. Um, and it also asks us to remove sort of deni- any denial, any piece of um, resistance to what actually is happening. If we're in pain or if we're having heartache or fear or joy or whatever it is, love, we should embrace that feeling. It doesn't mean we have to act on it. Um, it doesn't mean that we, just because we're having an angry welling up in our body doesn't mean we're going to act on it. We'll, but if we don't, then if we don't take a moment to acknowledge it, it gets uh, it can sort of snowball. Um, right. And number three is to connect daily, consistently every day to to continue to to pray. Uh, he says, take some time to be with yourself. Um, even if that's just five minutes with your coffee or tea. Um, and if you have a lot of kids running around the house or whatever it is, the, the bathroom is always, almost always a safe space. Not for everybody. Not for everybody. Uh, but you might just take a walk um, outside for a second just to get yourself a fresh breath of air. Um, number four is pray. Uh, there's a, there is a, a commandment, a mitzvah, that uh, we ask for God, ask God to help us when we are at the end of our wits. So um, to turn towards God with, with our praise or, or our um, fears or our challenges or the moments when we sort of feel like it's there's no way forward, and, and God, please carry me. Um, 
all of those are invitations to, to mindfulness. Learn daily. I think we said that. Number five, that's number five, is learn daily. Um, and for, for the Magid of Mezrich, it's Torah. The, the, there's no other learning in the world besides Torah and Mishnah, um, which, are, which are the Bible, um, the Pentateuch, the five books of Moses, which is Torah. Tanakh would be um, Torah, the writings, and the prophets. That's the Nevi'im Ketuvim. Um, and also Mishnah, which would be the legal codes, le- legal learning of, of the Jewish tradition. And what he thinks it's important for you to learn, uh, what I, I extrapolate out of that is that it's really important to, sub- to immerse ourselves in something that, that teaches us a path forward that may be different than the one we're already in, that challenges us to, to, to lean a little bit outside of our own comfort zone and see maybe our tradition has something to help guide us in the way we should act ethically or however it is. Um, I always look for p- pieces that are going to be meaningful to me. I like to take a piece, one thing that's meaningful and try that. One thing that, that um, has really no relevance at all to me um, and try that. And one piece that is maybe even somewhat um, counterintuitive or something difficult for me. Um, innocuous but something difficult for me and try all of those at the same time I sort of have those three playing um, at all times in my in my practice um, that was a, a challenge given to me by one of my rabbis um, as I was sort of getting into more practice he said try that one you like one you have no connection with at all and one that is really challenging for you and see how those play out once you've made a commitment to them. Um, and I've found that, that um, those things shift, actually. It's not the things that I may have liked at some time have become sort of benign. Um, and things that have been difficult for me have become actually somewhat really, really uh, meaningful for me uh, over time. So you can see, see how that shifts, see how things change. Can I ask you a question? Yeah. Um, those would be mitzvah. Those would be, those would be practices, like um, actions that you would integrate into your into your life. Okay. So, um, do like something I do mitzvah. But yeah, in terms of the study p- portion, yeah. So there's that. that we'll get to that actually soon. I sort of jumped the gun here. Can I ask a question too? Um, sure. Would the no meaning could it also be the challenge? No meaning could be a challenge. Yeah, it could be challenging. Yeah, um, but you should probably try to find what, three distinct ones. I think that's the model that I learned at least. Um, and then six is when you have foreign thoughts, and I think um, just let's, let's pause and think about what it means to have a foreign thought. Um, in the Buddhist meditation tradition, um, they say that there are six sense doors. Um, and in addition to the five that we would normally think of, the sixth is the thought, is our thoughts, the sense door of our thoughts. Um, so I think to, see, to even, he fra- the, even the way that he frames this, the Magid frames this, he's, he's sort of introducing an idea that our thoughts, just like the sounds that we hear, just like the, you know, the sensations on our skin, 
are not necessarily controlled by us at all times. Um, and and the, the more that we sort of get into an understanding that our thoughts don't necessarily have to dictate our actions or that and they're not necessarily reflections upon who we are, um, the better the the better we are, are going to be able to um, create just a little bit of separation from our habitual behaviors and our habitual patterns, the way that we would normally would go about doing our life. If we, if we start to see that our patterns are, are actually not, they're not, we don't own them. They're not ours. Um, then we have an, an opportunity to then just create, just to drive a little bit of a wedge between whatever it is that sets us off. I mean, everybody's got a different thing. Some people are warriors, some people, it's like, I mean, some people are more lustful, and lustful meaning like fantasy. It could be lust, literally, but it could also be like fantasy. Some people launch into, I wish I was snowboarding, I wish I was on a beach. Oh, let me grab a cookie. Cookie is also lust. You know, there's uh, some people, some people overeat if they get too anxious or they get angry. Um, anger is another way of, of um, it's, a, it's a hindrance, it's a way of moving us away from what we're actually feeling because anger feels much more in control, it feels a little bit better than pain or than fear. I mean, that's my experience at least. I'd much rather feel anger, as painful as anger is, than fear. Um, and when and you, when you start to notice that I'm angry, where's that body? Where's that feeling in my body? Where's that coming from? Um, when you, or when you start to have the thought that's leading you towards that anger, you have to s- stop immediately. This is number six. Foreign thoughts. You feel them. Something that's gonna about to set you off in a new direction. What you have to do is immediately. Don't wait. Stop and seek the source of it. Go there. And it doesn't matter what you're doing. I mean, obviously, if you're driving in a car and you're operating a heavy machinery and, like, it's just not the time, there are, there are times, there are emergency times where you just need to put it, like, put something to the side in order to, like, to stay alive. Of course, I'm not asking anybody to put themselves in danger. Um, but for the most part, 90% of the time, 99% of the time probably, we're not actually in a dangerous situation. We could probably just pause and, and actually feel the felt sense in our body. Um, go to that place. Try to ask the question. Shift The shift of just asking the question, where is this coming from, automatically puts us in a different frame. So now we're all cut up. Number seven, uh, the learning for this week. Number, sec- number seven is... When you encounter mindlessness, he calls it negligence. He uses the word negligence. Negligence in your work of the Holy Master. Um, and I'm, gonna call, I'm calling that mindlessness. I'm calling that uh, a disconnecting moment from what I think our true essence is. And then that is, I think, we need to be connected to the present moment, connected to our best self. When we find ourselves 
And this happens in meditation. I think it's important to talk about this. When we find ourselves, we're meditating, whether it's on our breath or using our body or whatever it is, sometimes people use counting. There's all kinds of ways to meditate. But when you find yourself, you have an object of your meditation and you're five minutes in or seven minutes in or however long you're meditating in, one minute in, 30 seconds in, and you find yourself somewhere else in dreamland. Not doing, your mind is sort of doing what it does, which is thinking, but it's not doing what you set out to do for however long your meditation time is. And then you realize, whoa, it's like a waking up moment of, wow, I'm really not where I wanted to be. My mind is totally, I'm thinking about that conversation that I was having earlier, that I wish I said this thing or that other thing, or I know that there's something coming up and I'm trying to plan for it. I'm starting to write lists in my mind for what I'm gonna do later after I get out of here. Um, Or I'm fantasizing about some other something because I'm sort of shifting. Those moments are a gift, according to the Maggit of Mesrich and in my own experience. Moments of negligence? Those moments of, of awareness that I've been in a mindless state. That is the almost the purest form of mindfulness, is that, that one waking moment. And I actually think that part of what we're doing here is really just cultivating that, that particular sense. We're sort of trying to hone in that ability to wake up. And if we do it over and over and over and over and over again, that we sort of get, we get stronger at it. And we're able to string more of those moments together. And ultimately, I've said this before, but the point of all of this is not to be a good breath counter. It's not to be a good um, meditator or somebody who can sit still or who can watch their breath really well. That's not what I'm trying to do here. What I'm actually trying to do is cultivate the ability to wake up that feeling of like noticing that I haven't been awake. Enough that when I'm in my day-to-day interactions, when I leave, when I get up from the chair or from the cushion or the zafu or whatever you sit on, um, when I get up and I'm out of this meditation session that I'm able to then be aware and awake in my conversation with a friend or with my partner or with a coworker or with my boss or whoever I encounter at the grocery store so that I'm not being swept away by whatever it is that I'm thinking about planning the future or what just happened in the past, and I'm actually able to be with whoever it is that I'm with um, or wherever it is that I am. But he says that moment, that moment when you realize that you've been off in la-la land somewhere else, it is what he calls etratzon, it is a, it's like an, it's like a, hmm, how do you translate that? It is a moment that is, that is beckoning. 
I think that's how I would, I would, des- I would describe that term. It's a beckoning moment. It's like, a, it's like as if God is saying, I'm here. You just woke up. Now it's especially a time for you to come back to your awareness. Come back to this. You, you have that moment. Now that's the, moment, that's the moment when you're in the conversation and you're starting to get heated. And all of a sudden you're like, whoa, how did I get to this place? And you can say, you can actually do this in real life. You can say time out. I'm, I'm actually so sorry, whoever this is, that you're getting, that you're getting spun out, out of control with. And say, I'm so sorry, I, I got carried away. My actual intent was to communicate X. And we've gone so far of that. I hope you can forgive me. That's that moment. That's the moment when, when you're going off at, on yourself, potentially, even. I mean, a lot of us do this. We have a sort of, sort of critical self. I know I do that. You know, I, I mess something up, and then I'm berating myself, and, and I'll catch it. Every once in a while, I'll be able to catch it, and I'll, and I'll be able to even say to myself, wow, that was really harsh. <laughs> You know, that was that was um, that was hurtful. The way I was sort of relating to even myself in that moment. That's a way of connection. Number eight. That was seven. Seven is what happens when you encounter a moment of mindlessness. That's a moment to double down. That those are the moments that lead to enlightenment. Number eight. Number eight is a little bit esoteric, actually. It's kind of a interesting quote. He uses a quote at the end from the Zohar, which I actually don't fully understand. Um, and it's definitely esoteric because it comes from the Zohar, which is a mystical text in our tradition. Uh, it's not actually meant to be fully understood. Um, it's a more allegorical understanding of the of the Torah. It's um it's a mystical understanding, and that's actually not my training. Um, so I'm going to stay away from that one piece of it. Uh, but I will talk about the beginning, the beginning and the end. Number eight is be careful that in every single day. You do one good deed. He uses the word mitzvah, which is one commandment. And there are a lot of commandments um, that you could do. And he says, afilu kala, even one that's like a very simple, easy thing to do. Um, there are a lot of those. There's, there's a lot of those. There's, there's, I mean, it depends on, it's, they're so subjective. What's easy? You know, what's easy to you it may be, may be difficult for me. Um, but choose one thing in every single day that, um, that asks you to go a little bit beyond yourself. Something out of your normal routine um, that, that, that you probably drew from the learning that you've been doing, if you're doing a learning every single day. Um, I think that, that there's something to that. And I know that in my life I've experienced that there's a certain um, booing that going outside of myself does for my, for my day-to-day life and does for my, my overall life. Um, when I do things 
I mean, it could be as simple. It could, it's it could be very simple. It could be that even that mode that mode moment, that moment when you wake up just out of your sleep and you say, you know, thank you, God, for for bringing back my awareness, for bringing back my ability to be aware, my soul. That's a that's a, that's a mitzvah. That's a the aware the bringing awareness to the fact that it's not you who made yourself wake up. That, that, that there's something extra in this universe that brought, you, brought that to you. Um, and some people call that God, and that's a loaded term, but um, doing that, that, is, that changes the, 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 um, the quality of your day. That could, that could change the quality of your day. I'm going to take questions after. Um, the... Um, and then the end of that, you know, I'm actually not going to, I'm not going to jump into that because I really don't have a very clear handle on what he's talking about. But I'll, tell, I'll give you the gist of it is that he says that there are hidden parts of ourselves, and I, which I think he's talking about the spiritual aspects of ourselves. And then there are physical aspects of ourselves and that those are both um, wrapped up in, in these acts of these, these mitzvot, these commandments. And that when we perform a commandment, we're able to sort of join the spiritual and physical aspects together. I don't really know what he means fully. Um, maybe, maybe we'll get some more clarity on that if we, if we explore it together. And number nine, which will be the last one for today, for this session, is... He, he's saying, make sure that when you pray, that you are praying within the community. And what he means by that, he actually, I think, I think he means it in both the physical and the spiritual sense. So what does that mean? It means pray with other people, like physically in the presence of other people. And I think we can, we all we may, may have noticed that there's a different quality to our meditation when we are by ourselves at home and when we are in group together. Um, and we probably notice the same thing about prayer. Just, it's okay. Little, little cell phone noise. Um, Does that have anything to do with Minion? Minion, yeah. He's talking about minion, but I think what he's also saying is, is not just physically that you need to pray near other people, but that when you pray, you ought to be putting your prayers out there in the plural to say, to, to sort of count yourself among other people. You're not, you're not alone. The community impacts you. You have an ability to impact the community. You should pray not just for your own needs, and I think we see this in our prayer book. Almost all of the language is in the plural. It's not asking, it's not an individual petition to God, it's not individual recognition, it is a communal recognition. Um, and he's saying it's really important that we do that, and, and that we have a sense of humility when we pray that says, God, you know better than I do. 
potentially what I need. I know what I want. That's really clear to me. What I actually, what I think I want at least. But what I need, that I don't, there's no, no thing that could know it better than you, God. Now that I think could be challenging for a lot of people. But I think what it's saying is there's a certain trust you have to have or, or a certain humility you have to have in understanding that maybe what you think you need is actually just a want. What you actually need is something different than what you, actually, what you think you need. Um, a lot of us think we need you know, a lot more than we really do to, to, to get along. I think this, the, the lesson there, I think, is, is a humility, is walking through with a sense of there might be something else that I actually really need that I have no idea I need just yet. Yeah, and again, he talks about you know, nullifying our sense of self and sort of seeing what we can, instead of, I think that's like an ego, not just not thinking always about what we, what just me, 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 instead of thinking, thinking of how do I, how am I here to serve a greater purpose? What is it that I, what is it that I'm supposed to be doing here in this life? Why am, why was I, why am I, was I born? It's a sort of existential question of like, what was I, was I supposed to do, contribute something to the world that wouldn't be here without me? I mean, I definitely believe that that each one of us has some unique role here. And that's, what, that's, that's the God spark that we each carry. It's important that we respect that in each other because if I, see, if I feel that about you, if you feel that about me, you're going to treat me a whole lot differently than if you're just thinking about yourself. Um, yeah, so that's, that's number nine. Um, and we'll continue next week. Is that true? We'll continue next week with part four, uh, where we'll cover, I think, 10, 11, and 12. Um, and we'll sit now for 20, 20 minutes. Um, so if you have your cell phones still on, uh, please silence them. I'll, I'll, does it, cause it, could it wait till after the, the meditation? Or do you want to do it now? Up to you. Sure, yeah. Okay, great. Um, okay, so we'll sit. sure both of your feet are like are flat on the floor if you can back is upright not strained find a position that you'll be able to hold for the duration of our time meditating if you're comfortable keep your eyes closed 
Notice the sounds in the room. Rattle of the AC in here. Maybe street noises. Maybe adjacent rooms. Maybe someone sitting right next to you. Use your breath as an anchor. We're not trying to deepen our breath. We're just trying to notice where it is. If you can, maybe it's the tip of your nose. Maybe it's the air in the back of your throat or the rising or falling of your chest or belly but choose one part of your breath and bring your attention to it. Start to notice the texture of your breath. Is it short, heavy, cold, warm? If you can't breathe through your nose, your mouth is just as just the same effect. You can watch it through your mouth as well. Every so often I'll invite us back to our breath. If that's where you already are, that's great. And if not, it's a great reminder. And if you catch yourself wandering off into other spaces of thought, it's a big gift you've been given to come back to your breath.
wherever you are, bring your attention back to the breath.
wherever you are, bring your attention back to your breath.
deep breath. Start to wiggle your toes and fingers. Slowly come back to the room. Just before we get into questions, um, Eitratzon is more literally uh, translated as um, a desired time. It's, um, it's actually some, one of the terms that's used for um, the high holidays for Rosh Hashanah as a, as a desired time, Eitratzon, Ladonai, that um, God desires our prayers, especially in that time. Um, so, Janice, I think you had some a comment or question, yeah? So um, earlier, thank you, Janice. So uh, the question is, um, what would, what might the Magid have said about those times that are uh, intentionally supposed to be individual prayer times, like the uh, the morning waking up in the morning, or or um, in that sort of gratefulness, or the Shema. Uh, the, some people have the practice of saying the Shema in the morning and at night and the bedtime as well. Um, and I think uh, that was somewhat uh, addressed in the earlier steps. Um, I think this is in addition to those pieces. Um, I think he's saying those are important, especially the way you start your day. Um, taking that time of like lahit boded to be alone with yourself, um, that is important. That's in the first few steps. Um, but it is also important that we be in community and that we have that communal aspect of prayer. Um, that's my, I think that's my understanding of what he's saying so far. Good question, yeah. Finally, just a comment. Uh, yeah. The eighth one, I believe, mm-hmm. where you spoke about the, the doing of mitzvot mm-hmm. as the sort of affirmation, if you will, of the uh, unity of the body and the spirit. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Yeah. Um, one and two. Yeah. Or then three. And then Sue, did you have your hand? Okay. And then three. Yeah. I was just wondering, um, um, in the evening when you're going to sleep, I, I don't know what they would say about it, but it seems to me that 
being too mindful stops you from going to sleep. So the question is, the question is, how do you, how do you sort of ease, ease into, ease into sleep mindfulness? Um, so uh, there's a lot of there. There's a good question that I don't have a ton of uh, experience with. I, t- I tend to fall asleep when I might when I meditate more than be ener- fully energized. Um, that's more of my danger zone. Um, I know that there are meditations for sleep that are much more body uh, body awareness. So people, there are people who will um, basically start with awareness of their toes and like each individual toe and be very um, intentional about that and then go through the bottom of the feet and to the ankles and to like slowly work their consciousness of like to be aware of their entire body. Um, from the toes on the all the way up to the crown of the head, and be very um, thorough with that investigation, um, and that, um, and sort of relaxing in yeah. each phase of that. And I think that has helped. That helps me fall asleep. Has helped me fall asleep and relax. Um, and I know that that's actually not just me that is doing that. I've, I've heard other uh, psychologists give that advice. Um, I'm not a psychologist. Ah, so, so there's an app. There's an app called Headspace that um, that you can download on your on your smartphone that apparently has exactly that. What's it called? Headspace. 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 Yeah, like Headspace. Yeah. So yeah, I, I think that I wouldn't practice an open awareness if I was trying to get yeah, yeah, to shut yeah, it down. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I would try to sort of focus in on where my body's at. Good. Good. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. You said something. It was it was during the eighth step. Yeah. And the eighth I step. couldn't understand the word that you said. Oh. And it sounded like booing. And I can't imagine what you actually said. Booey. Oh booey. Uh To um to uplift. Yeah. Uplift or sort of carry. Float. Like a buoy in the water. Sue. What is the transliterated spelling of letra Can I say that correctly? Atra Oh, it would be like... Um, spell in Hebrew and in English? In, in Hebrew, it is uh, written with an I in a thing. Atra uh, in Hebrew is Ein Tet. Uh, Ein Taf, sorry, Ein Taf, Resh Tzadik Vav Nun. And then, um, those are two separate words, eight. And then, how do you transliterate that? Um, E-T. 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 E-T is better. R A T Z O N, Ratzon. What does that mean? It is a time. Ratzon is desired, a desired time. Thank you. Yeah, Karen. I'm so not clear on the three things you said. Oh, the three practices yeah. to take on? Um, sure. So when I was just beginning. Um, practicing, t- trying to take on more Jewish practice. 
Um, one thing that was really connective to me that made a lot of sense to me and drew me in was the practice of putting on my talit every morning, um, which is like a prayer shawl, uh, with the tzitzit and the talit, the whole, the whole tefillin, the whole thing. That made a lot of sense to me. I felt connected with that. That was my desired practice. Um, something that made no sense to me, but was sort of um, innocuous. Uh, it was just didn't really add or subtract from my practice. Um, was uh, was doing a ritual hand washing in the morning uh, before my prayers, after going to the restroom. Um, the sort of like uh, there's some people have a prayer cup. They call it nadlan sometimes, where it's got these two handles on each side. It could just be a regular cup. Fill up the cup of water, and then pour it on each side of the uh, each hand. Some people do that before eating bread. I think traditionally we should be doing that. Um, that was my that practice, and the practice that made no sense to me, um, and was actually sort of bothersome to me, was um, was the practice of um, was of keeping kosher, of um, eating of taking restrictions upon myself for food. Um, because all of the 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 uh, my experiences growing up, the explanations for what kosher kosher meant, or like why we keep kosher, or why we don't take part in pork products, or why we don't mix meat and milk, is that it's like a health thing, um, which which is clear. It's clear, sort of like clearly uh, doesn't make sense anymore now that we have refrigeration and we know how to cook to temperature and all kinds of things. Um, so that was the that was my growth edge. Um, in those three, in that constellation, um, I mean, and, and that evolved. That that evolved because at some point, uh, keeping kosher uh, became really important to me and something I really enjoy. Um, taking on blessings uh, before and after eating, um, that's something I also took, started 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 to take uh, more pleasure in. Um, so that, that shifts over time, but I wanted to take practices into my life that are come from the Jewish tradition, um, and one of each category um, at, a, at any given time. And that can shift, but just sort of committing a commitment to take on those practices and see how they feel after an extended amount of time. Shabbat eventually became came onto that growth edge. Um, things that didn't really totally make sense to me that now if I tried to live without Shabbat, it would be, it would be like jarring. Um, yeah. So I think we'll wrap it up for today. Um, thank you everybody and tune in next week for the uh, part four of 15 steps towards mindful living by the Magid of Mezrich.